Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake off. And today we are doing our pre-season thoughts episode, the intermission between seasons four and five. So we're going to be doing some general discussion of everything we've seen up to this point and also thoughts and feelings going into season five. Jamie, season four, what do we think? I definitely think it's the best season so far of Supernatural, Mm -hmm. but that's a low bar. So (laughs) yeah, that's that's sort of my thoughts. Like, do you have any other, like... I've got specific questions for you, but like, generally speaking, so like, it's the better of the four seasons thus far. Yeah, we're starting to get more like cohesion in terms of like look and feel. Mm -hmm. I think it's also starting to get less obvious who wrote an episode Mm -hmm. with some notable, uh, notable exceptions. (laughs) It it is like the plotline is getting stronger. It actually seems like they have a plotline planned now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was part of my problem with the first couple of seasons. I don't know. It felt like they had a plotline in mind, but then they sort of just like forgot that they had a plotline in mind until the last couple of episodes in the season. They're like, oh, fuck yeah, the plotline. Whereas this season, it's been a lot more consistent throughout yeah. each episode or, like, every other episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Would you like to provide an overall rating of the season? Or maybe not would you like to, because the answer is probably no, but would you please? <laughs> I don't know what I gave last season. This is hard, because, like, I want to rate it, like, comparatively. comparatively. Because yeah. so I, like... Unfortunately, I also didn't track your episode ratings no. this season. Normally, I have a spreadsheet. And this season, for some reason, I just didn't do that. Which, honestly, my bad. <laughs> I I don't know, because like, I feel like it feels really mean, but like I know what I want to rate it. I want to give it three and a half. It was fine. It's still supernatural, which automatically <laughs> means I, I dock points. One of the things that you said to me, and I don't remember if it was something that you said while we were actually recording, or if it was, if it's something that made it into the episode. But you did say to me that when you were doing your episode ratings, it was difficult because you were trying to rate the episodes of season four against episodes from seasons one, two, and three. And the episodes in season four at a base level were at a better quality. Yeah. But it's hard to, within a five point rating system, yeah, sort of define that. So what you said to me at the time was that you've kind of rated each episode individually within the context of that season. So a 3.5 in season four is actually probably potentially better than a 3.5 in season yeah. one or two. And so, like, yeah, trying to rate the actual season as a whole, like, 3.5 as a season is cumulatively the quality of the episodes in season four, Mm. not actually the rating of season four comparatively against one, two, and three. It's basically like that meme of, like, look what you've done. You've taken a perfectly good (laughs) media analysis. You've given it standards. (laughs) 3.5 feels kind of harsh in my brain. Like, I feel like I'm hurting your feelings by saying three and a half, but, like, I feel like I want to give it more, and then I remember, like, after school special, and I'm like, I can't give it more. With the show still producing that bullshit, like, I just... So, like, it would be a four, except for some notable exceptions, which force you to dock points. Yeah. Yeah. Which, honestly, I think that's fair. Personally, for me, season four is, like, one of my favourite seasons, mm. for a number of reasons, but I can understand your reasoning in in that and like yeah. i said like our rating system is poorly designed and yeah. i will take the rap for that again my bad <laughs> but i like, really yeah. should have left more room for growth in that but yes no i i understand i think honestly 3.5 is like i think it's a fair rating like, considering got, considering yeah. your experience with the show and your personal preferences and again remembering that the rating system is entirely subjective like i want to give it four stars and then i remember the anadine sex scene like yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, 
like, I keep on going, oh, yeah, like, this season was better than last season. I should give it, like, a higher rating. A higher rating. But then I go, oh, yeah, but this. Yeah, and then you remember <laughs> season three was overall not that great, but it did have Bad Day at Black Rock. Yeah. And it did have Mystery, Mystery Spot. And, like, you know, and Ghost Faces. Yeah, and, like, so I feel like... Season four overall has been better, mm-hmm. but it's had less episodes that I walked away from like, oh yeah, this shit slaps. Like I yeah. actually genuinely unironically liked this single episode of Supernatural. Like <laughs> there are more episodes that I was like, yeah, that was good. It was, yeah. it was fine. It's like, more consistent. It's more consistent, but with that, it also didn't have the highs. The epic that highs make, and epic lows of watching Supernatural. <laughs> you know, like, the episodes that I watched and thought, oh, yeah, actually, maybe this show has the potential to be good. And then you immediately <laughs> watch the episode, and you're, the next episode, and you're like, yeah, no, it doesn't have the potential to be good. To quote you in, oh, God, I think it was maybe, I think it maybe was After School Special, where you say, I could see myself liking this show if it wasn't so shit. <laughs> like, like, it's got the bones. Yeah. Like, it has the potential to be a good show. And then they just do whatever the fuck they did with it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is why it's not a good show. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like every time you think, oh, I have hope, maybe maybe this show could be good, it's like they remind you why you didn't have that hope. <laughs> okay, great. Did you have anything else about the season, just at large, that you wanted to, like, reflect on or make a point about? I think everything else, like... We're going to get into specific bits later. In a moment, yeah. So, like, I feel like that's, like, the general, like, the general vibe for this season. So, next sort of segment that we have is your opinions on the characters and how they might have changed or stayed the same or have or whatever. So, I'm going to go through the list. I'm going to start with our protagonists. Season four, how are we feeling about Dean? Much the same as last season. He's more angsty now, which I don't know (laughs) if I'd like that. I understand that the the characters in this show are never going to be fucking happy. Yeah, it's all about that trauma. It's all about the trauma. Their misery is the entire point. Mm -hmm. But, like, I feel like I can't relate to the characters if they're never happy. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. It's okay. You can be mean about my Volvo. I can take it. it, It's hard because, like, I don't want to insult a whole bunch of people. But it's like, (laughs) I feel like without any contrast to Dean ever being happy, it's really hard to care about his sadness. It's like, if his constant state is sad, mm-hmm. how am I meant to care that he's sad because that's just his baseline? Like, if he is always sad and miserable, why am I meant to care that he's especially sad and miserable? It's like, he's always sad and miserable. This isn't new or unique or different. It's yeah. like it's kind of like you get used to it yeah. and you're like, okay, but like, but like if he's he, just more sad than normal. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. it feels like he's got nothing to lose. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like... I think what the show's trying to say is he has Sam to lose. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what he could lose. He could lose his family. And it's like, yeah, but his family makes him fucking miserable. (laughs) Why the fuck would I care if he lost his family when his family is actively making him miserable? And we fucking have Bobby this season saying that family's meant to make you miserable. And like, I'm sorry, but bitch, they're not. (laughs) I thought this show was meant to be making the point that like found family was like, you know, if you're original, if you're if your blood family makes you miserable, you can choose a new family mm-hmm. and those bonds are just as valuable and just as sacred as the bonds that you have to the people that you are blood related to. They actively make this point that mm-hmm. like they are choosing their family and then Bobby literally contradicts his own fucking point <laughs> by saying, oh, actually, no, you're not allowed to walk away from this family because they make you miserable. It's like, yes, you can, bitch. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's another one of those things where... It's the Sam and Dean effect of, like, it's different when we do it. Like, (laughs) 
You choose your own family. Except in our case, where we have to stick with the family we fucking got, even if it's the, you know, you know the like, worst. But I think it, like, ultimately comes down to, and in this particular instance, like, Sam and Dean, their relationship is so complicated. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It just makes it hard for me to be like, oh, I want this character to be happy because he's never been happy. And he keeps on actively making choices that make him miserable. And when he does try to make a choice to, like, cut his losses and try to find some sort of happiness and try to do the right thing, Mm -hmm. you've got Bobby there basically contradicting everything he's said up till this point about family. It's going to be really interesting to talk to you, like, when we get into, like, later seasons about this exact concept of, like, Dean can't be happy because every time he tries to make the decision to do something for himself and to like what in whatever context that is he somehow gets pulled back to this existing narrative like that is going to be something that we can actually talk about as like a meta thing and so i think that's going to be interesting and like the other thing is that scene with bobby where bobby's like family's meant to make you miserable he doesn't cite it as you choose sam you always choose sam and that's why you're a family mm-hmm. he cites the fucking blood thing and then it's like but yeah, and it's interesting that you say this too because the original quote is like family don't end in blood, which is like the implication that your family is your blood but is also other people. Yeah. But later in the series, we actually get the continuation of that line, which is it don't start there either. So I, I get what you mean. Like it's, you have to have, and this is like a comment on media in general, and I do think Supernatural does fall foul of this, which is you can't just keep making things more and more and more. Like you have to have the ebb and flow. Like if you think of a roller coaster, yeah. like you can only get the exhilaration of the drop because you've had the high. It's like, about the build. Up. It's about the build. If you just keep going up and up and up and up and up and never drop, then it's boring. But simultaneously you can't go down and down and down and down because at some point you have to plateau. Like there is no, you can't just go down the whole way through the core of the earth. And at a certain point, it's kind of like, okay, we're still going down. Yeah. We're still, like, you you lose that The initial shock of, oh, now we're going down and we're going down fast. Chills out. You get used to it. Exactly. So you have to have that sort of up and down. And you're right in the sense that Supernatural typically doesn't have very many ups. Or they do, but they're minute. And so, like, it typically comes across in, like, a standalone episode where they're just, like, fucking around for an episode. Like, even in sort of, like, earlier in the season, we had uh, Yellow Fever, where, like, Dean is scared of everything. And, yeah. like, it's a comedy episode And in it's that a sense. fun episode, but... But he's not actually having no. fun. Like, the audience is having fun. He is not. You Decidedly so. I feel like the last episode where I would describe Dean as having, being, like, happy even slightly, it's fucking mysteries fun. Sam is miserable the entire fucking time. Mm -hmm. But Dean, like, because Dean's blissfully unaware. He he is like the living stereotype of like ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And like he's just having fun messing with his brother who's stuck in a groundhog day loop. Like Mm -hmm. it's hilarious. But even in that episode, like, audience arguably is having more fun. Like, yeah. It becomes this thing of like the boys can only be happy, or like the boys can only have fun. For the audience's pleasure. Which, again, is another meta thing yeah. that we'll come back to. And, like, it's fascinating, but it just doesn't, it doesn't endear me to the character. It doesn't make me gravitate towards the character. It doesn't make me want... It doesn't make me want to watch more of his journey because it's like, well, if it's just more misery, why the fuck am I watching this? Yeah, like, where is like, the payoff of, like, he finally... He actually gets to be happy at the end yeah. of the hard slog. Yeah. 
And again, that's something that we'll talk about. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think every media ever needs to have a happy ending or whatever. Like, I think sad endings certainly have their place in media. Or, like, bittersweet. Or bittersweet or whatever. But, like, it's just... It needs to feel earned or it needs to feel justified. There is no happiness anywhere in this. And it, like... I think it is interesting. And you actually are touching on a point that I... There's a Tumblr post, and I'm sure it's, there's not just one. I'm sure there's a few that make a similar point like this that sort of floats around and it comes across my dash every now and again. And it's basically, like, someone who's, like, just started watching Supernatural and they're like, you know, oh, my God, like, these boys are, like, miserable. And someone's like, oh, like, what season are you on? And they're like, oh, season two or something. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's, like, when they're at their happiest, you know? And yeah. it's, it's literally this thing of, like, oh, my God, remember season one where they were so happy? And it's, like, Sam being so depressed about Jess's death and Dean trying to search for John and, like, all this stuff. Yeah, I so I fully I fully appreciate yeah. what you're talking about. There feels, is not much yeah. joy in Supernatural. It feels like the characters they're anyway. striving for a hollow ideal. Like yeah. they're striving for this thing, but they don't actually know what it is. Like they're striving for happiness and happiness as a family, mm. but they they never had that. It didn't get taken away. They they never had it to start with. I it's, don't know. It just feels like they don't know really what they're fighting for because they've never had anything to fight for. It's interesting because I think it's actually like a very fascinating, and whether this is intentional or not, but like we talked about in our pilot episode that Mary and Jess are basically the real victims of the show. That. But they're also basically concepts. Yeah. Like they're not actually characters at that moment. And I think that it's interesting the way that you were just phrasing that point because they're fighting for an ideal that they actually don't have the context for. And so... It's, it's sort of almost like the grass is always greener. Except for they've never even seen, seen green grass. grass. Like Yeah, or it's like they've only known drought. Yeah. And they're just begging for the rain. It's and the show continues to not give them any sort of rain. Oh my god. Like you know not even is? like a light misting of rain. No, do you know what it is? This may only make sense to a small handful of people. Do you remember the R. McCain ads of the early 2000s where the kids are eating the corn? Yeah. So it's basically the concept of the ad is this farmer is like there's this huge drought and the farmer is like miserable. He's staring off into the in the distance at his dusty, dusty crop fields. And then the kids in the top of the house are chewing the corn and the juice of the corn falls on the guy and he gets so excited. Like, oh my God, the rains are coming. The rain's finally coming only to find out that it's the juicy, juicy corn. That kind of is how it feels. Like they're staring at this barren abyss, basically. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, it's going to rain. It's going to, we're finally... Free, yeah. and then they are like, oh, fuck, we're actually just being gaslit. Like, <laughs> Did someone say Dean Smith? Yeah, yeah, literally. So it's certainly an interesting point. Anyway, there's this kind of like the show at large. I might just bring us back a little bit. Did you have any thoughts about Dean in particular at all that you wanted to share? No. Or uh, my, my opinions remain largely unchanged. And if they've listened to me up to this point, they know how I feel about Dean. Yeah. I like him as a character, but like, not my blue boy. Yeah, okay. Next character, we'll jump into Sam. How are we feeling about Sam? Sam goes through a lot this season. Yeah, so we talk a lot about, in Leverage, like, which characters get the visible character development and which characters get the invisible character development. Mm-hmm. Sam gets the visible character development. I don't know if I like the visible character development with Sam. I understand what they're doing narratively with it, but, like, also, like, as a character device, it feels kind of cheap. I, I am going to ask you to elaborate, but if you're not sure how to, then that's fine. With me, like the Sam character development up to this point, seasons one to three, mm-hmm. his character development was 
sort of based around his grief Mm -hmm. for both Jess and Mary. It was based around his love for his brother despite not knowing the sacrifices Dean has made up till that point. And it was based around this sort of like the feeling of otherness. The feeling of being like a monster, a freak, and not having anything that you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So it feels really cheap for me that they were like, for the fourth season, what we're going to do for character development is we're going to sort of put away the grief aspect. And we see this in the way that what he wants most is not for Jess to return, is not for a happy life, is not to move on, but is for Lilith's head on a plate. Okay. It feels cheap to me to stray away from all of those more internal complex desires and be like no what we're gonna do is we're gonna have him lean into being a monster it's interesting that you say that because i i don't agree i i can understand where you're going and i fully like respect it as an opinion i would argue that i think it is really interesting that this is where they lent because it is based in his grief he probably would not have fallen down this road except that he was forced to reckon with the reality of dean's death and so he was in a position where he has literally lost everyone. The only person he hasn't forcibly lost is Bobby. And he then chooses to cut Bobby off. And I think that part of that is based... We've talked a lot that Sam has this desire for autonomy. And I think that in this instance, Sam, in his grief, has correlated autonomy with power. Because he wants to be in control of his own situation. And so Ruby is able to offer him power... And so he latches onto that because it feels like control. And obviously he is being manipulated. But also we know from Mystery Spot the kind of mental state that Sam is going to be in after Dean's death. We know how desperate he got because we have episodes like 409 where he is explaining to Dean like how Ruby's safe. And so I can understand how from a like a character narrative it makes sense that Sam would have gone down this path. And then by the time that Dean comes back, remember it's been four months, Sam's too far gone. Like he's already been ingesting the demon blood. He's already been like exploring his powers. Ruby has her hooks in too deep now for him to step back from it and kind of revert to being able to relate to Dean and have Dean be there and be his like, sort of guide through this sort of tumultuous time where he's trying to wrestle with himself and who he is and his identity and how he relates to like the demonic blood that he was forced to have because now we've we've talked about before like he's made that choice and so he knows innately that he is not the person Dean thinks he is and I think that that is like another thing that kind of further others him and sort of puts this divide up where there was less of one before. And so, like, I fully understand. Oh, and I want to make it clear that when I say it feels cheap doesn't mean it doesn't feel logical or it feels, like, out of character. Like, it it makes sense that this is where they went. I just wish that it felt like they'd maintained some other aspects to the character instead of just basically turning into John White. Okay, so... You wish they hadn't leaned so hard into the Johnification of Sam. Yeah. Like the one, the single-minded, Yeah, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to take control of the situation yeah. regardless of like everyone else. It feels else. like for, for a character who was like so wrapped up in grief about Jess's death and Mary's death, it feels odd to me that his reaction to Dean's death doesn't feel like grief. Mm. It feels like revenge because... I would argue that he has been a character who's leaned more on the 
grief side of things than the revenge side of things. And he actively rebelled because John pushed too hard on the revenge side of things in terms of the way he raised the boys and that sort of stuff. And he actively ran away from it. I kind of wish that they'd left a bit more of that element of grief in there as like traditional grief. Do you think it would have helped if we had seen a little bit more of Sam by himself before Dean came back? Yes, probably. Okay. Like, and that's the thing. Like, like if we'd seen him go yeah. through the five stages more elaborately, mm. elaboratively, rather than having it just in that sort of summarized one episode in four and yeah. nine. I'm not saying that it is objectively bad, quote unquote. It's just not what you would have liked. It's just not what I would have liked. Or I would have even preferred for the trickster in Mystery Spot to have been completely wrong. And when Dean dies, for him to not go down this path and do something like... Sam goes back to Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to sort of like maybe lean into the hopelessness of it all. It is difficult because... It feels like we've missed four months worth of character development. Which they kind of speed ran in, in Mystery Spot. a ten Spot. minute chunk. What is really interesting is that we know that Mystery Spot was supposed to be or was lined up to be the final episode of season three so it would have been really interesting seeing mystery spot run directly into lazarus rising obviously it couldn't have unless they actually for real killed dean and sent him to hell at the end of season uh, sorry at the end of mystery spot but it maybe would have felt a little bit more cohesive yeah and in terms of sam's like sort of spiral yeah if we had seen that and then maybe at the end of Mystery Spot, had, like, Ruby show up to be like, I'm so sorry, I heard what happened to Dean. And then we know that she's yeah. been there from the get-go. And then we have we have four run, yeah. run as it would have. It's like we could have had a fascinating character study about Sam losing himself, but it's like we sort of pick up when he's already lost himself. So it's like we miss all of that. It's funny, in a show that is so much build-up for, like, last-minute payoff, it was almost yeah. like we did payoff without build-up yeah. for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, the one instance where we got payoff, there was no build-up. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> did you have anything else just to do with Sam at all that you wanted to talk about, just in season four specifically? Obviously, we get the demon blood reveal, which I was very victorious. <laughs> As you just should have been. I was dying to get to that episode for so long. To be fair, though, also, my demon blood theory was, <laughs> but what if? Yeah. Like, this is the stupidest fucking pathway out I can imagine, and then they fucking did it. I just think it's so funny, because, like, the thing is, like, I make the joke a lot, like, oh, like, the good supernatural that lives in Jamie's head, and sometimes I make it because you just say something that's, like, hilarious and would have been a better show, yeah. but also I sometimes say it because you say something that just actually happens in the show, and I just think it's funny. To be fair, though, nine times out of ten when you go, ha, the good supernatural that lives in here, it's not. It is, me, <laughs> it is me making a batshit joke about wouldn't this be the stupidest fucking possible resolution to this goddamn plotline. True. But what I find entertaining about it is that you can't come up with these things in isolation. So, like, at some point, something has triggered you to consider this as a possibility. And I just think that that's funny. Because it means that it's somewhere in the show, they have done something to make you think that this is a possibility. Even if you think of it as a batshit possibility. And I find that very entertaining because I largely went into the show kind of knowing most of what happened because friends recommended it to me and I knew bits and pieces. Like I knew about Sans drinking demon blood, I'm pretty sure, going into the show. Oh. Like I'm pretty sure I, I already knew that because the person who recommended it to me was watching season six or seven at the time. So they like gave me sort of like a rundown trying to yeah. convince me to watch it. So like it's really fun to me to like see you theorizing about this stuff 
Because even if it is coming up as like a batshit idea, like clearly something has tipped you into like the concept of it. And also you were sort of robbed of the experience of being able to like... Yeah, like I already kind of knew. So it's it's very fun to see you sort of come to the conclusion organically, even if it is like, you know, in the sense of I'm cracking jokes and it's just a, a wacky kawinky dink. But you know, it has to be based in something. So, for the first time, I get to ask you, how are we feeling about Cass? Cass still isn't my blue boy. Okay. But he's definitely my favourite of the trio. I I can see why so many people gravitate towards Cass rather than Dean and Sus. Like, I am not shocked at this (laughs) this development. Basically, just like, Dean and Sam, like, they're fine. Cass doesn't understand personal space, and I've never related to somebody. (laughs) Like, I love Cass. And I'm glad to know that you like him. Like, he's not your Blorbo, but, like, he's your favourite of the trio. I get that. How are you feeling about him through his first season? Just, I mean, you only know him from Lazarus Rising to Lucifer Rises, so... He's definitely interesting. And he's definitely completely wrong when he says that Uriel is the funniest (laughs) agent in That is... That is his subjective opinion. (laughs) And it's wrong. It is objectively wrong. But no, like, I like Cass. I feel like we're, I'm still, like, we're still in the meeting Cass stage, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it definitely feels like we've met Cass, but we don't know Cass yet. Like Yeah, and he was sort of reprogrammed partway yeah. through getting to know him. So we sort of lost a little bit of progress partway through the season and then had to regain it. Do you have any particular thoughts about his character development so far, even through the first, like, 22 episodes? Or I will say it is fascinating what the writers have done with him, considering the implications. Like, obviously, I have spoilers for the rest of the show and I know about Destiel and that. It is insane to me that they were going to deny the queer element so hard when they chose this. Yeah. When they chose to make him watch Dean have a nightmare. And then they were <laughs> going to be like, oh, you know, that's just straight buddies being straight. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, we're going to switch plot lines with the love interest and then not think about the consequences of that. Yeah. It's insane, honestly. And yeah, look, I'm not going to comment anymore on that. We will talk about this more as the series goes. But... It's, it's, he's almost more interesting because the writers seem to have no fucking idea. Like, he's more interesting because the writers seem to be heavily in denial about the implications of what they're writing. He's also already an unkillable character because he was only supposed to be in three episodes. And he was in half of this season. And pretty importantly, like, it wasn't like he was just popping in for cameos all the time. Like, he became very plot relevant very quickly. I would argue that he's more important, like, plotline-wise than, like, Uriel. Like, they they could have easily done, like, the Uriel sort of pop in and out. Doesn't really have much bearing on the plot other than to be, like, a vehicle for exposition so the characters know what the fuck is happening. But then they were like, we're going to give him, like, a full character development plotline like mm-hmm. they didn't have to do that the Cass fact- could have been like Zachariah or Uriel like you could remove Cass and just have exactly Zachariah and Uriel like he likes Dean and that's a problem and so it's really fascinating like but way- that's totally in a straight way they're just buddies oh yeah no homo obviously yeah. yeah I mean we met Dean's actual love interest this season Anna and like they just had so much undeniable chemistry yeah exactly <laughs> like I can see why, considering the chemistry, like, Dina and Anna had, like, why the writers wouldn't even consider that chemistry a possibility. You know, like, yeah, it's just really clear from the first moment that they slept together, just, you know, <laughs> the power. Dean, Anna, and Yeah, like, 
Obviously. Yeah. It's what's really entertaining. And like, I mean, I asked you at the end of each season what you're thinking about the characters as they are, but I was really excited to ask you about Cass because he has such a dramatic shift from Lazarus Rising mm-hmm. to Lucifer Rises just in the way that he presents himself as an angel. Because he goes from the very stoic, like... Stoic? How, how would you pronounce it? Stoic. Oh. Is that another word that this you've only ever This is another word read? that I've only ever read. So he goes from a very stoic, I am an angel of the Lord, yeah. the Lord works in mysterious ways, and like all of this stuff, you know, this very sort of standoffish, like, I raised you out of hell, I'll throw you back in. And then he goes to like, I am considering disobedience for you. In a you know, totally straight way, no homo bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me just pin you against this wall real quick. Don't think about it. <laughs> and the way that he goes from, even in Lucifer Rises, you can see Dean winning him over in that discussion, you know, where he goes from Dean punching him and it doesn't even phase him to letting him be manhandled. And he, he really does like character development speed run addition through this season, especially from, I would argue, from like the great pumpkin Sam Winchester onwards. Mm-hmm. There's a shift there. Not to bring it back to Sam or anything. No, no, go for it. I feel like one of the reasons why Sam feels cheap is it's because they've taken a complex character and they've simplified him to his bare basics, essentially. Mm. Whereas with Cass, they took a very simple character and they added shit tons of layers. Both are fine, but it's just like one is clearly so much more nuanced now than the other. Mm -hmm. It's like, but we've had the other for four seasons already. Why is the new character already outpacing them? Mm-hmm. Why are you stripping away elements of Sam as a character to go really heavily into this demon blood dependency storyline? Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting to have it put that way. I don't know if you remember, but I think in like the third episode of season one, Dead in the Water, I'm pretty sure it was this episode, we talked about how for a show that has two protagonists but was pitched as having Sam as the main protagonist, it really quickly became the Dean show. Yeah. Like they really switched that real quick. And then, yeah, season four happens and it's like, hang on a minute. This is the cast show now, you know, and like Dean is still really relevant. Sam, it feels like, gets sidelined a bit. And so I can understand, like, yeah, it does feel comparatively like Sam's development is less nuanced. It feels like Sam's going down a helter-skelter. Yeah. Like, just super, very one-dimensional. It feels like they prioritise everyone's development except for Sam. Yeah, Sam. For Sam, it just feels like they were like, oh, well, now he's addicted to demon blood. It actually reminds me again of, KJ made this point back in an episode of season two, or even maybe season one when they were on Saving People Queering Things. And it's that Sam is used as a plot device, a narrative plot device to move from one space to the next. And this is when they were really developing the special children plot. But I think it's also relevant here. Sam is a plot device. They're using him Hmm. to show it's not his character that's developing. The plot is developing through him as a conduit, you know? He's ingesting more blood, he is becoming more morally grey, or, you know, yeah. something is going on with Sam, but that's the plot. It's not actually specifically about Sam, it's about what is happening to Sam and around Sam. And yeah. it's comparatively to Dean and Cass, who were developing as characters. Yeah. And, like, not that Sam's not developing. No. It's just in a different way. And that's why I want to be clear. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I absolutely, like, hate the Sam plotline and I can't believe that's what they did with it and that sort of... It just... It feels really cheap in comparison to all of the other characters this season. Like, it even feels like Ada got an actual plot line, yet they couldn't spare one for Sam. Like, It's really interesting that you phrase it that way, and I hadn't considered it from that angle before, but I 100% see what you're saying. Yeah. Because Sam's plot is very one note. Yes. 
Whereas everyone else's plot is like three dimensional. Yeah. And it's so interesting because you would think that Sam's plot should be this one of the standouts yeah. in the season, but it's really not. And it doesn't feel like they're trying to make a point with the simplicity. Okay. Super good supernatural that lives in Jamie's head. My favourite time. If they had, at the start of the season, established Sam as, like, super-duper complex and, like, he's still trying to, like, he's still trying to keep up with Bobby, but he's also trying to balance his Mm. revenge plot line, but he's also trying to balance... His grief for Dean. Grief for Dean and all of this sort of stuff. And he's sort of playing, like, juggling all of these different balls, all of these different facets of his personality. Mm -hmm. And as the season progresses, you watch him drop... One ball, mm-hmm. and then another, mm-hmm. and then another, and then, like, and he stops. He stops touching base with Bobby, mm-hmm. and then you know he's no longer concerned about this, and then he's no longer like, and it just sort of like and it's more gradual. And... It's more gradual, and you see him sort of lose himself to the addiction, and you see him sort of hone in on the demon blood, and you see him focus on the demon blood. As he focuses on the demon blood, all of the other aspects drop away in his life, and he yeah. stops. And you know, Dean returns, and he stops caring about Dean sort of thing like Dean was the massive motivational factor at the beginning and now he doesn't care anymore like you know like it would have been better I think to still do this plot line but have it more of a like his focus shifts to the demon blood as the season goes on instead of sort of starting and ending there the other thing that is like really interesting about that is that up until this point Sam's faith Yes. has been a very ongoing and trackable and important part of his character. And, like, we have the Great Pumpkin Sam Winchester where he kind of has that reality of meeting the angels and understanding who they are and they, ha- they have that conversation between Sam and Dean. That's why they like, say you know, reading's the- Brolin freak, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. they have that discussion between Sam and Dean where they say, you know, just because there's one bad apple doesn't yeah. mean the whole batch is bad kind of thing. And that's kind of... I think, from memory, the last time we hear about Sam and his faith. And I think that it should have been maybe a more ongoing struggle for him, considering what a big part of his character it was built to be. And particularly having the contrast of, like, Sam losing his faith in religion, but finding it in his addiction, in a sense. Like, that that became the thing that he was focused on and devoted to is, like, just the substance. Yeah. At the same time that Dean is finding faith in places outside of Sam. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. he his faith in Sam is diminishing, mm-hmm. but his faith in Cass and his faith in an overarching plan yeah. is solidifying. Like, that contrast really could have been played with a lot more than it was. Yeah. But I just kind of wish that they'd actually kept this character as complex as he was in the earlier seasons. Because mm-hmm. it, it feels like they're just dropping away aspects of his personality. Mm-hmm. for the demon blood storyline but they don't actually show him dropping away yeah. aspects of his personality it's like jumping off a cliff rather yeah. than running down a hill bringing it back to Cass because <laughs> we did get a little bit sidetracked did you have any other notes that you wanted to talk about in terms of him as a character or his plot line anything like that or even just angels at large because they're a new species that we've been introduced to I mean not really we've had angels since tall tales oh, this is the bane of my existence <laughs> We're going to be in fucking season 15 and you're going to be crapping on about this. I <laughs> I love the idea of introducing angels. I'm just not sure that I'm fully on board with the way they've done it. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, it sounds like, it sounds like a brilliant idea, but it just 
I don't know. I feel like they maybe haven't planned it out really or really thought it through. It feels it feels very much like a band-aid solution. So I'm interested to see what they do moving forward with the Andrews and if that sort of makes it feel like, oh no, actually this was just like a mm-hmm. they didn't want to give too much away for the like plot reasons and stuff like that, and that's why it sort of feels very much like surface level, etc. Because obviously we have like the couple of foreshadowy adjacent episodes, the Sarah Gamble Long Con is alive <laughs> and well. It just yeah, it does it does feel kind of like Oh, well, we just needed... A way to get Dean out of hell. A way to de- get Dean out of hell. So it'll be interesting to see as we do get actual... I'm hoping we get actual payoff for some <laughs> of these fucking storylines if that sort of feels more premeditated. And obviously, like, there's only so much they can do. They had to pivot in season three because of... Writer's strike. Writer's strike and all that. complication. Outside context of the writer's strike helps, but it doesn't fix all of the issues that are still inherent to the show. Yeah. I feel like maybe the writer's strike gave Kripke time to reflect and, oh, shit, like, this show is meant to be the sort of show that builds something. And he sort of realized that he hadn't built anything yet. Mm. So, like, now it was building from scratch, but it's like, I've already watched Speedrun Edition. Like, I've already wasted three fucking seasons of time. Like, Mm. so it's like, I don't know if it was sort of like that and, like, the pivot, but it was like, it still feels like a temporary solution. So I don't know if that's going to change as time goes on. For be like, you know, when like you're at school and you have the transportable buildings. Yeah. And it's like they were meant to be there for like six months while they renovated. But it's been two decades. But it's been two decades <laughs> and they're still there. Yeah. I don't know if it will sort of feel like that. It's meant to be a temporary solution, but actually like now it's just part of the show. And it doesn't feel like they've really thought it through. That's really interesting. I am very fascinated to know if you're... Which is hilarious change. considering it's probably one of the most thought through aspects of the entire fucking show. I don't mind telling you this, but I think that coming into the end of the Kripke era, because we are now, we're coming up to the last yeah. season that he show ran, and the last season that he planned for there to be as a show creator. I think that they did a very good job of making seasons one, two, and three retrospectively important to season five. Yeah. Because obviously, like, with the writer's strike, everything changed. Yeah. And they went a completely new direction. But either they got really fucking lucky, or they went back and were like, right, We've how got to can fit all we make this make sense? Yeah. And I think, I like to think that that's what they did. I like to think that these writers actually care about what they're doing and about the art form that they are creating. And I think that they did a very good job of going back, looking at what had already happened and making it cohesive yeah. with the final plot. So I am really interested to see if you feel differently about the angels and how they fit into yeah. everything by the time we get to the end of season five. Yeah. At this point, it still feels like I'm only midway through the season. Like, if that makes sense. Like, it feels yeah. like the sort of episode, like, this feels like a mid-season finale mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And like, I think, it doesn't feel like a season finale. And I don't know if that's just... No, I agree with you. I think that the Kripke era can be broken down into basically seasons one and two, season three, seasons four and five. Like, they're very much It feels like segmented. one... One long season instead of two separate seasons. Yeah. And I, I fully understand that. Yeah. The season four finale is not really a season four finale. It is more of a season five setup. And so, yeah, it does feel more like a mid-season finale because it doesn't feel like... Like, it's a cliffhanger, but it's not in the same way as you would normally expect a season yeah. cliffhanger. Yeah. It feels much more like, oh, we're going to get an immediate progression from this. Yeah. We deviated so far from character opinions, but yeah. I'm going to bring us back a little bit. Ask me another question. That was your mistake. Before we move on from character stuff, I do want to ask you how you're feeling about characters outside of our main trio. I don't know if you wanted to maybe talk about Ruby. Obviously, 
her character dies at the end of the finale of season four. Not gonna lie, I kind of hate that they killed Ruby off. I hate that they killed Ruby too. I hate that we get the whiplash of this like great monologue where she's talking about how awesome she is and we get this reveal that she's actually been playing everyone the entire time, not just Sam, but everyone, including the audience. Like, And then they kill her immediately and it sucks. It's like you just gave me this entire, mo- like you've just given me this entire season basically saying this woman is like potentially the smartest demon mm-hmm. in fucking hell. Like her and Lil- Lilith are like- They're it. They're it. Like, they are the dream fucking team. Mm -hmm. But she didn't think ahead to a way to stop herself from getting killed. It's very frustrating. This episode, like, the season four finale makes me retrospectively love Ruby. Mm Because I was really on the fence about her for most of season four on my first watch. And then when I got to that monologue, I was like, oh, fuck, yes. I, this changes everything for me. I was like, I love her. Like, this, it provides that context. But then, yeah, she immediately dies. And you're like, well... And also I was kind of entirely correct when I predicted that I think she's just in it to get close to the leader of hell. Yeah, in the wrong way. In the I was I was, I was wrong. In a roundabout way. <laughs> I was wrong. She wasn't trying to get close to Sam, but she was trying to get close to the leader of hell. And she was literally the right hand man. Though like, I do think it's gonna be fascinating now that Lilith's dead to see what happens with the power vacuum. Because mm. obviously they've got Lucifer, but Lucifer arguably is going to maintain the same position he had previously you know what i mean so it's like there is still a a need for like a lilith sort of like a leader of hell that isn't oh is it gonna be meg (laughs) (laughs) are there any other characters that you want to touch on any shout outs you want to do even if they're just like once-off characters or secondary characters i know you love oh i really i yeah i I do love zechariah he is the real mvp of the angels Mm -hmm. funniest angel in the garrison i I (laughs) do I do really want to just quickly shout out Joe and Ellen. I hope they had a lovely vacation. <laughs> like, we didn't see them at all this season, so they, that I really hope that they had a lovely, relaxing vacation. Mm-hmm. Finally had some happiness away from the Winchesters. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the only time any character in the show gets to be happy is when they take time yeah. away from the boys. I really just want to say fuck you to Bobby at the moment. Because, like, he's such a good character, and then he has that fucking speech about how family's supposed to make you miserable and, like... I'm sorry, Bobby, but that ain't it. Bobby's fall from grace. <laughs> I want to ask you very, very quickly. Thoughts on Chuck? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like Chuck. He's my poor little meow. <laughs> Obsessed with that take. So excited to see how that progresses through the series. <laughs> okay, I feel like Chuck's kind of like in my brain. I think of Chuck the same way I think of the trickster. Okay. Like they're a fun, like they're not my favorite character, but they're a fun character. And like, I do look forward. It's the same as like Ed and Harry. Okay, yeah. Like, I look forward to seeing them again. Yes, okay. Perfect. I love that. Not necessarily because I like them as a character, but just because they're very fun to watch. Mm -hmm. They they make the story more interesting. So, on to... Actually, I might deviate... Slightly from our pre-existing wrap-up formula. Yeah, I'm just going to swap this around a little bit. Do what you like. Okay, I'm going to jump... We've never done anything else in order anyway. I'm going to jump over season predictions. I think... We'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to ask you while we're kind of dancing around different episodes and side characters and things anyway, favorite and least favorite episodes. So maybe let's start with favorites. That would require me to remember literally any episode of the season. <laughs> um, sorry, just let me look at my notes so I can have the titles. Okay, so Lazarus Rising, mm-hmm. very fun, very interesting way to start the season. 
pretty good cinematography and all that sort of stuff. Plus, you get Cass being a dramatic bitch. Overall, I pretty liked it. That's probably in in the top somewhere. Are you there, God? Didn't really like it. Bit too much of an angst fest for me. Somewhere in the middle. Uh, in the beginning, boy, I had a ball on this bitch. <laughs> that one's definitely in the top. Metamorphosis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably somewhere in the bottom. Monster movie. Definitely in my top. Super duper fun. Love that they committed to the bit. They had fun with the genre. It was a filler episode, but it was a fun filler episode to therefore get to... Plus there was a Jamie in that one. Plus there was a Jamie, so that's bonus points. Yellow Fever. I liked it, but like I feel like everyone's like, oh my god, I love Yellow Fever. And it was just like... I think it was the tall tales of season four. Yeah. Meh, it's somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. There's like highlights, but there's also like the undercurrent of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> and the title. Okay, Great Pumpkin Sam. Somewhere in the middle. Wishful thinking. Bizarre. Bizarre. Probably somewhere near the bottom in terms of rankings. I know what you did last summer. Weird rapey vibes for most of it. Heaven and Hell. You know what I thought of Heaven and Hell. I'm still going to agree to disagree with you on those two. Like, I understand why you didn't like them. But I also, for me personally, I'm like, no. I'm like, the pros outweigh the cons for me on those ones. Like, the plot stuff that we get and the character stuff that we get from me makes it more enjoyable. There's a list of pros, there's a list of cons, and just based on where you put your value is, like, whether the pros outweigh the cons. Mm -hmm. And where I put my value, the cons outweigh the pros. Where you put your value, the pros outweigh the cons. Family remains, meh, somewhere in the middle, pretty forgettable. Chris Angel is a douchebag, again, meh, in the middle, after school special. (laughs) So interested to see where you put this one. Uh, yeah, right at the tippy tippy top. <laughs> I was your favourite. Absolutely. I just, I love the way they characterised Dean in this episode. It really felt like they were returning to who the character was. Yeah, uh, a three hour long conversation was just everything we loved. Yeah. <laughs> no, as you know, because you probably listened to at least part of that, didn't like after school special. Sex and violence. Like, it was fine. It's probably in the middle. But the conversation that you can have about that episode <laughs> is very Fire. fun. So it's like, in my brain, it has an extra one. Death Takes Holiday. I generally like that one. Wasn't fantastic. Wasn't like tippity top of the pile. But it was like somewhere in the top half. On the head of a pin. It was fine. Another one we agreed to disagree on. It's a Terrible Life. I really enjoyed that one. Like, it was very fun. Like, it gave me like solid ghost faces vibes. Mm -hmm. Like, gave me solid like mystery spot vibes. Like, it was the chaos episode of the season, I think you can probably describe it as. Yeah. And I do like chaos episodes. Um, we also meet Zachariah, who is... Incredible. Incredible, flawless. An icon. An icon. <laughs> like, like, if if Meg is my demon blogger boy, Zachariah is my angel <laughs> blogger boy. Monster at the end of this book. Fun. I liked it. It was good. We meet Chuck. Chuck is very fun. It's a very interesting episode while also being fun. So mm-hmm. I really like Jump the Shark. An interesting decision on the writer's part. Probably somewhere in the middle of the pack. The Rapture. We get Jimmy. Jimmy's a lunatic. I feel like... <laughs> Jimmy is a lunatic. <laughs> I, I feel like that one rates pretty highly, but only because of Jimmy. When the Levy Breaks. Pretty mid-tier. And then Lucifer Rises. Again, pretty mid-tier, but definitely better than some of the other season finales we've had so far. A lot of interesting stuff. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably just listened to our episode yeah. on Lucifer Rises. We don't really need to sum it up. But yeah, a lot of interesting stuff happens. Cool. So we've got a general summary of your thoughts. Did you want to name a favourite and a least favourite of those? Like, not not like all of them, but like top and bottom. Least favourite is definitely After School Special. 100%. Just... We were so mad about that episode. (laughs) I feel like it's evidenced in our three-hour recording and Mm -hmm. the fact that we cut so much 
That was not fun content because we were just sitting here being sad about how badly they portrayed Dean. What is unfortunate is that right after Jamie hit stop on the recording, she had this moment where her eyes went really wide and she gasped and she looked at me and she was like, I've just now made the connection that this is the guy who wrote the finale of the series. And it was this moment where it's just like the realisation of like, I've been telling her how bad the finale is. <laughs> and I knew that she wasn't quite getting it. And she just had this moment of clarity of, oh. And it was almost like witnessing the italicized O moment in a fan fiction. And it was so beautiful. And I was so sad that it was missing from the recording, even though it was already three hours long. By God, I would have kept that in. <laughs> Most favorite is probably It's a Terrible Life. Mm. Or in the beginning. Yeah. It's probably one of those two. Mm-hmm. Just like. Very fun. Angel hijinks. I'm also realizing I like the conceptual episodes. Like, if you look at, like, I listed maybe eight episodes that I would class as my top eight this mm-hmm. season. Predominantly, they're the conceptual episodes. So they're Meta. in the beginning. They're like Monster at the End of This Book. It's a Terrible Life, which is obviously yeah. like an AU version. Like, it's. I like when they mess with the formula. Like, even if yeah. you look at my favorites last season, they were Bad Day of Black Rock. Ghost they faces. were Ghost Faces. They were Mystery Spot. Like, yeah. It is supernatural strength. And a lot of people say that supernatural finds its stride in its meta. And this is what they're talking yeah. about. It is this ability to not necessarily break, but to fuck around with the fourth wall. Yeah. And almost like wink at the audience sort of some of the time. And it's, it's that ability to be so out of pocket that is where it finds its stride. Mm. And yeah, the strongest episodes, I would agree with you pretty much with your summary. Obviously some variation, yeah. but cool. So that summarizes <laughs> my my most favorite and my least favorite episodes. Okay, great. So we're going into what was supposed to be the last season of the show. This was supposed to be it. It was supposed to be all wrapped up, tied neatly in a bow at the end of this next season. It is also the last season, obviously, of the Kripke era. What are thoughts, predictions going into it? Okay. Not necessarily what you want, but what you think they will do. I obviously don't have, like, too much evidence to back up any of my predictions. Like, it's just, like, gut feelings based on what I think they're going to do. And if Supernatural has proved anything to me at this point is that I don't ever know what they're going to fucking do. Because I will make a joke and I'll be like, this is the worst possible way to wrap up this (laughs) storyline. And then that's what they've done. So... I think that a lot more thought went into it than we necessarily give it credit for. I think that the running joke, particularly of like Tumblr and Twitter, is that the writers didn't know what they were doing and they were just like half-assing it and no one gave a shit and everything's on accident. And while that's a fun joke, and I do think that there are some instances of that where it's pretty clear that it was on accident because it's impossible for it to not have been an accident. Or, you know, the Sarah Gable long con. Like, I do think we have to give some credit where credit is due. Like, the writers are good at their job. Like, they are professionals. They are planning some things. I love how, (laughs) like, the podcast's official position at this point has become, like, the writers' room are all absolute buffoons and doing everything by accident, except for Sarah Gale. (laughs) Like, she's the one exception. You know, and... Like, she's... She plotted this out before she even knew the writer's strike was going to be a thing. Like... (laughs) Psychic Sarah Gamble. (laughs) Honestly, at this point, there are so many things they could do. Yeah, I mean, it's there are, very open. It's very open. There are so many things they could do. 
I think it's very obvious that they're gearing up to some sort of final heaven and hell fight, some sort of final heaven and hell battle. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to swing for the fences here. I'm just I'm just going to take a stab at it and hope for the best. Go nuts. I think that the season five finale is going to be Sam sacrificing himself for Dean's picket life fence because they put so much emphasis at this point on Sam and his picket, like white picket fence and uh-huh. that sort of stuff and how... Dean would sacrifice anything for Sam to be able to get that. Mm-hmm. I think Sam's going to make the decision for Dean and sort of force mm-hmm. Dean's hand like there's nothing Dean can do. And so it ends with like Sam maybe accepting his position in hell or whatever or, okay. or whatever. And like he's sacrificed his future, his family for Dean to be able to have that because there's no other way or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I think that at the end of season five, Cass will fall from grace. I don't think Cass will be an angel anymore at the end of season five. Okay. I think that's sort of where they're gearing up. I think they're gearing up to parallel him with Anna mm-hmm. um, and sort of what she went through pre-introduction uh, to Anna. Do you think he would do what Anna did and actually forcibly remove his grace himself or do you think he would just fall unceremoniously like forced into it? I think if it's a choice between Dean and being an angel, mm. we both know what Cass would do. <laughs> that's a really good answer. <laughs> Um, but I do think that through some mechanism, either he'll no longer be an angel at all, he'll mm-hmm. have removed his grace and he'll just be like a human or whatever. Okay. Or he will be like hiding. Okay. He will be on the run. He will no longer be associated with heaven. He'll be on heaven's most wanted list, essentially. Yes. Okay. Because he's already... I mean, he kind of already is. He already is. Unless they, like, unless he spends the entire season on heaven's most wanted list and then they catch him and they reboot him again. Mm-hmm. Like, I think... Short of them rebooting him, he's never he's not gonna be a good little angel soldier again. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. and I definitely think like this next season's gonna be the apocalypse in some form or another. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that the apocalypse isn't the same thing that we had with the seals, where it was mostly off screen and you just heard, Oh well now we're down to thirty seals, but oh, now we're down to this many seals. I okay. hope that it's it more actually... hands on. I don't know, it just feels like at this point like they've been like, Oh well you've got a part to play, but then you it's like, that's in the future. You have a part to play later. Yeah, it's like a very need-to-know basis. We finally hit the later, so I'm just hoping that they actually have a fucking part to play. Yeah, okay. Ooh, I definitely think we're going to get the Trickster as an Angel reveal next season. <laughs> I need to know, because I am going to ask you about things you, you're hoping for next. Yeah. This is stuff that you think is actually going to happen, so you think, are you still, like, I know that you've mentioned, like, after I think it was A Terrible Life, that, like, you know, you really solidified this, the trickster as an angel yeah. into your actual theories. Yeah. Okay, so this is actually something that yeah. you think will happen and not just, like, a hope or a dream. Oh, yeah. Like, to be to be fair, though, I also did say I'm swinging for the fences. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like... I just wanted clarification because... <laughs> that is something that I hope will happen because I will be fucking victorious. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, you're like, I can't wait to bully Bethany. <laughs> yeah, like... like I'm listing it here because I do think it is actually serious. Like, the more I'm... Learning and observing. Learning and observing about the angels, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, no, actually, mm. his MO matches the angels' MO perfectly. Coincidence? I, I think, think not. <laughs> like, I know I've had a bit of an issue with, like, Alistair and the way they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to make the most evil demon of all demons queer-coded. Mm-hmm. But I kind of do hope they make, like, Lucifer queer-coded. Everyone else in this show is fucking queer-coded except Sam. <laughs> Why not Lucifer? I I think we're going to get Meg back because you told me that I get Meg soon. 
I'm hoping, and I don't think it's unreasonable for me to be like, we get Meg in the next season. Uh-huh. You've told me that we get her before Kripke, so actually, no, that's not really a prediction. That's just me repeating yeah. what you've already said to me. Either you're lying to me, or it's true. I would never lie to you about Meg. <laughs> I, I if you lie to don't want to die. <laughs> it's kind of hard, because like, there's so many things I could do. Especially, like, this was supposed to be the final season, so they, they were gearing up to tie off everything. Yeah, so it's, like, obviously, like, I'm like, well, they're going to tie off this somehow. They're going to tie off that. Like, they have to deal with the apocalypse. Like, that's not a prediction. That's fucking... Can you imagine they went into the next season and they were like, actually, we decided not to do that. <laughs> the apocalypse is resolved off screen. Yeah. <laughs> I have two theories about how they're going to resolve the apocalypse. Okay. Either Sam sacrifices himself mm-hmm. for Dean, or... Dean, like, the angels win the apocalypse, and as reward, Dean is, like, allowed to wish, sort of, like, he, he he's allowed to sort of build his own custom life. Okay. With like some sacrifices. Like, yeah. obviously, they can't do anything, and if, like, Sam dies, they can't necessarily bring Sam back to, like, obviously, there'll be limitations, but, like, you know, he can sort of choose what he wants. And it's meant to be, like, a happy ending, but it's kind of, like, also really sinister because there's, like, something missing and it's, like, also inherently false. I think it'd be very fun, though, to, if at the end of Season 5 they establish Chuck as God. I know it's coming at some point. I don't know when. If they yeah. establish Chuck as God, but then have it be, like, Chuck as God has just put, like, his blobo in a dollhouse. Like, he's created, <laughs> like, its own little self-contained universe just to stick a Dean in. Like the Truman Show? Yeah. <laughs> Vaguely. What's really funny about that is, like, almost you can view Supernatural as an entity as kind of like the Truman yeah. Show. Like, especially, like, having Chuck but as the But a smaller Truman Show within the Truman Show. You know, it's meant to it's be... It's almost like, I'm finished playing with this toy for now. I'm going to put it in the dollhouse and I'll come back to it later. Yeah. He whacks him in the dollhouse, like, with Cassie or whatever. And, like, oh, well, you've got a girlfriend now. You've got to be happy. <laughs> And Dean's still yeah. sitting there being gay, like, <laughs> like cool, but, like, this isn't actually what I wanted. Okay. But All also, right. God can't control Cass, so couldn't really give Dean what he wanted. This is so interesting. I'm really excited to come back to some of these points once you have actually seen the yeah. season five finale. Also, I'm assuming that he's going to get, like, Sam's going to get sober at some point. Okay. I don't, I don't think they can, like, long-term continue the demon blood plotline. Yeah. I think there has to be some sort of, like, Supernatural hand wavy. Plot, 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 convenience, convenience, mm-hmm. convenience. You were watching Supernatural Way of like Sam suddenly being like off the Dean blood. Did you have any other serious prediction y type things that you maybe wanted to float or are you happy with what you've said? No, I think like a lot of my predictions have already like, like I've already been making them during the season yeah. and I can't think of any other like distinct ones that I'm really like. Oh no, I want to make sure I mention that here. No, I think you've done a pretty good summary and like at this point, People will be familiar with your my theories as they stand, so I don't. Um, think unless I, if you're listening to this single episode out of your context, first episode, you must be wildly confused. Like, <laughs> like, like, hi, welcome, but also, what an episode to choose. So we've covered what you think is actually plausible and like may potentially happen. What do you actually want to happen? Okay, so first up. I want Mega Sam's new demon blood deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Way more reliable than Ruby, probably. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. At least Sam knows that she hates him. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. 
Meg's upfront about her emotions like that, yeah. Like, Meg is just, like, honestly, like, Ruby was a manipulative bitch and I love that for her. Mm-hmm. But Meg's so much more straightforward as a demon. I, I do want Meg as Lucifer's second. Every other demon that we've got so far that I would think would be eligible for the position is dead. Lilith's dead, Ruby's dead. Like, unless it's going to be the random demon from fucking Sin City. Like, yes. Azazel's dead. <laughs> like, Alistair's dead. Alistair's dead. Like, it's not leaving many candidates. No. So, like, I hope that it is Meg. Like, this is just going to be a list of characters that I want to meet. I want to meet Rowena. Okay. Like, I've seen bits of her on Tumblr and she looks cool. You will adore Rowena. I feel like if Meg's my blue boy, Rowena will also be my blue boy. Hard agree. Going in, you thought I was cast coded. Turns out I'm Rowena coded. <laughs> I haven't met Rowena, but everyone's told me that is the case. I hope that we get, like, a satisfying conclusion. Like, we've got so much build-up. We've got so much hype. I hope that it actually lives up to at least some of that. You know okay. what I mean? Like, oh, I would kind of love to see... I don't think it's going to happen, but, like, the angels working with the demons... Oh, okay, like some like, collaboration. Like, yeah, and, like, I'm not talking about, like, a rogue angel working with demons. Mm. I'm not talking about, like, a rogue demon working with the angels. I'm talking about, like, them being like, you know what, fuck these Winchesters. <laughs> you want the angels and the demons to team up to be like, we're just going to take care of these two guys and then we'll yeah. go back to fighting each other. Like, like nothing at the draws moment, people together like a common enemy. Yeah, like, at the moment it fi- kind of feels like the Winchesters are just caught in the middle. Like, it'd be nice to feel like they're not just caught in the middle. Like, they actually have some sort of importance to the plotline. Everything's happening around them. Around and to them, but nothing's actually about them. And it feels like they don't have any sort of free will at this point. Like, it feels like they're just getting funneled down predestined paths. So I think I would like to see that there's a reason why they're getting funneled down these predestined paths. Yeah. And, like, a reason for this. That is intentional. Yeah. The feeling that they are being funneled down the intentional path. Yeah. It feels like they don't have free will. That is so relevant to discussions we will be having in season five. That is an intentional thing. I promise you the concept of free will and the fact that it feels like Sam and Dean have none mm. is something that is going to be so relevant next season, particularly. <laughs> if you don't have your own free wills, like if you can't make your own free will, still the board is fine. fine. But the version of Storeboard is Cass's free will. <laughs> if like, you can't create your own, donated by Mercy is fine. <laughs> Alright, do you have any other hopes and dreams? No, I feel like this is a trash fire show and I refuse. Like, if I don't get my hopes up for anything, I can't be disappointed. Fair. What is your worst case scenario? The next season is basically just like Sam and the Demon Blood Addiction show. Okay, so a continuation of that plot. Yeah. Like, I understand that they have to deal with it, like, mm-hmm. and don't, like, and I want them to deal with it, but, like, I'm talking yep. about, like, the second half of this season went so heavy on, like, the Sam demon addiction, mm-hmm. like, demon blood addiction thing. Like, I kind of just hope that they let the show be about literally anything else. So you want it wrapped up, but you want it wrapped up quickly. Yeah. Okay. I feel like this show just, like, they just pass up so many opportunities to be, like, emotionally impactful. I think it's emotionally impactful, but not in the way that you would like it to be. Yeah. And I think that kind of comes back to what you... And that's a Because I find... I think it's emotionally impactful. Yeah. But I'm much more attached to the The Bulldogs. Yeah. So... So like, any any emotional impact hits you harder than it does me. Yeah. And I think that kind of comes back to what you said right at the tippy top of this discussion, which is that 
there is no real ebb and flow. It's just a very constant down. And yeah. so like those things that should hit you emotionally hard don't hit you as hard. One, because you're not as attached to the characters as I am or other people may be. But also because it is still a steady downward trajectory. There's been no up to give you reprieve from that steady down. Did you have any final thoughts or feelings or hopes or dreams or predictions or anything or character stuff before we wrap up? No, I've already objectively spent too long talking about the CW's Supernatural. <laughs> Fair and valid. Okay. Um, in that case, that brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you liked it. Obviously, it's just one of our intermission-y ones, so it's a little bit different. But if you would like to get in touch with us, as always, we can be found at any of the links in the description below, Twitter, Tumblr, Discord, all those fun places, and some potential topics for conversation could include. What did you think about Sam's plotline this season? Like, Yeah, let us know. Like, Because we have different opinions. You know, and actually, I would love to know what are you looking forward to for Jamie to see in season five? Obviously, spoiler free, but even if it's just like an episode title... Let us know what you're looking forward to Jamie seeing. I certainly know what I'm looking forward to Jamie seeing. What are your, like, favourite and least favourite episode of the season? Oh, yeah, give us a tier ranking. Yeah. I would be fascinated to know, actually, because we obviously have some disagreements. So, yeah. yeah. Very S- clearly. Very clearly. Send us, send us your ranking. Do you think we're too hard on After School Special? Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we have you back next week for the first episode of Season 5. Bye! Bye.